Christ Center, how are you doing today? Ah, I love it. I love seeing your beautiful faces out there. Welcome you for joining us online. We're so glad uh, that you're with us today. I'm Steve. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Center. And I want you to do me a favor this morning. Just kind of do this with your elbows. Just kind of work your shoulders a little bit. Um, because there, this is a message on love. And we're going to be talking about a subject that you might be tempted to elbow your neighbor just a little bit, okay? So I'm just giving you that, that kind of warning uh, right now. So we're in a series called Prepare, and we're looking at the ingredients necessary to truly celebrate the birth of Jesus. Uh, a few weeks back, um, we talked about peace. Last week, Tim talked about joy. Uh, the first week, I talked about hope. And this week, we're going to talk about love. And today's key scripture, if you want to turn in your Bibles, is going to be 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 10. Or open your phone, get your app out, whatever you do uh, to connect with the Word. But, and uh, we'll also have it on the screen up here. But we're going to be talking about 1 Corinthians 13. Now, a lot of you know this chapter my guess is that some of you have been to a wedding or two where 1 Corinthians 13 is kind of the key section of Scripture that the officiant uses to talk about love. As a matter of fact, I do a ton of weddings, and I would say probably 8 out of 10 times when I ask a couple, give me a Scripture that really speaks to you about how you're going to love uh, your spouse they come back with 1 Corinthians 13. Now, ironically, 1 Corinthians 13 is actually not talking about a husband and a wife. It's, it's not talking about that kind of love. 1 Corinthians 13 is actually the Apostle Paul writing a letter to the church in Corinth about some division that was taking place in that church. There's all kinds of division taking place. And so he wrote 1 Corinthians 13 to address some of those divisions. Divisions on the Lord's Supper, divisions over who to follow, uh, divisions over the gifts of the Spirit. And so he wrote 1 Corinthians 13 to a church that was divided. And right before 1 Corinthians 13 is 1 Corinthians, oh, you guys are good, right on. And in 12, he talks about two factions, two groups of people that were at odds with each other. And you see this intermingled throughout the book of 1 Corinthians. They were going at it. 
And this particular group were people that had received the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They had received um, prophecy, uh, speaking in tongues. They had received uh, gifts of serving others. They had received all kinds of gifts. And what was happening is there were two groups that were forming out of these gifts. One group, their gifts were more public. They were kind of more upfront. Um, maybe gifts of prophecy or gifts of speaking in tongues with interpretation or gifts of miracle workings or gifts of healing. Those were gifts that everyone was like, wow. And they were public. They were upfront. They were spotlighted. And then there were gifts that were not as public. Gifts of hospitality, gifts of servanthood, gifts of martyrdom. How many want that gift? But there were other kinds of gifts that were given. All kinds of gifts. And Paul was saying, essentially, you're one body. You can't just tell one organ, uh, you know, I don't need you anymore, heart. I don't need you anymore, uh, liver. I don't need you anymore. No, we work together. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote 1 Corinthians 13. And it's kind of a ping pong match. When you read it, knowing that context, it's a ping pong match. Sometimes in there, he's talking about the people that had the big public gifts that were looking down on the people with the lesser gifts. Other times, it's the people with the lesser gifts resenting those with the greater gifts. And you kind of see him going back and forth. So let's read 1 Corinthians 13 with that context in mind. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels. Who do you think he's talking to there? Lesser or greater gifts? Greater, right? More, more observant, more spotlighted gifts. But have not love. I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, I mean, all kinds of miracles, all kinds of healings, I'm prophetically speaking, I am out there so that I could even remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Now, just so we don't leave out those other people with gifts, now he transitions to those with the lesser gifts. And you understand, I don't mean they're lesser, but in the minds of those Corinthian church, uh, they were the lesser gifts. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, I give everything away. And though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love. It profits me nothing. Love is patient and is kind. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not easily provoked, keeps no records of wrong, 
does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. Let that sink in. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. There's going to be a day when the Lord comes and we're in eternity. That there will need to be no giftings, no prophecy, no tongues, because we'll be face to face with Jesus. They'll cease. Where there's knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Here on this planet, we don't, we're not face to face with Jesus. We're not living in that eternal glory yet. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part is going to be done away with. Wow, Paul is doing an excellent job here of ping pong, ping pong. He's not letting anyone off the hook. There's a lack of love in the church at Corinth. And it's causing all kinds of division. And as we focus on preparing our hearts to celebrate, celebrate Christmas, we must have love. And as I read through this chapter, God drew me to a certain phrase that I think over the holidays, especially during Christmas time, it's so easy to allow this particular thing to be an enemy of love in our life. And it is the phrase, love is not easily provoked. Not easily provoked. It's so easy to be provoked, isn't it? I mean, we can find all kinds of reasons. Now, if you were looking in the New King James or the King James or a word for word, you're probably going to see not easily provoked. But historians believe, most historians believe, that the translators actually added that word in there because it's not in the original Greek. Why would translators of the King James Bible add a word in there that's not in the original manuscript? Well, most of them believe it was because King James was known to fly off the handle. He was known to be easily provoked. And so they just put that in there. Not easily provoked. Step back. And I hope he's not easily provoked at me for putting that in there. And so that's why we have it. But it's actually not in the original. In your little margins, in your notes, you'll see it's not there. So it really reads, love is not provoked. And yet, how many would say provocation can be an enemy of your own life? Anyone here? What does that mean? What is that phrase, is not provoked? Para susmos 
is the Greek word. Para means to come alongside, to be close to someone. Zeusmos means a sharp object formed into a sharp object so as to puncture. So the idea is you come alongside someone and start poking them. That's what this means. And now the elbows start swinging. No. We're easily provoked. I mean, we're kind of like King James. We're provoked. That's the word. There are people, there are things, there are situations in our life where the jab just keeps coming, just keeps coming. And the hope and the goal of that paraxusmos is that it punctures the love. It deflates the love. That's why Paul said, love is not provoked. In the Greek, it also means a call to war. <laughs> How many of you have been provoked and felt like, that's a call to war, and you had warfare right there? You know what I'm talking about. And it's all because we are human beings and easily provoked. And I want to talk about some areas where we're provoked. It's not fun to feel provoked. No one enjoys that continual prodding and poking. But things can provoke us. Things can provoke us. The other day, we bought a snowblower after the first snow, my wife and I, an electric snowblower. We're still married, hallelujah. But we had to put this thing together. There was no instructions in it. Halfway through, there's a little compartment, and you open it, and there are the instructions after we almost kill each other trying to put this thing together. Not that you can read the instructions, because even if, you know, you had 20-20 vision and a microscope, you probably couldn't read the instructions. I literally got one of these magnifying glasses out trying to read the instructions. It provoked me. There may have been a moment or two where we had to step aside. Let's give ourselves a break. Things can provoke us. You know, situations can provoke us. In other words, someone that has the improper use of a vehicle, that's a situation. It can provoke us. Long lines, that can provoke us. Situations where your health is constantly a struggle, constantly eating at you, and you just get frustrated. You get, anyone else? I was just talking to someone this morning. I won't name names, Chris Rumble. Um, <laughs> but if he's talking about his back, and, and when you're in chronic pain, sometimes you might get a little grumpy. It, it's, it is possible that you know, situations, things can provoke us. People can provoke us. Certain people can provoke us. As a matter of fact, you know, if you have kids, you've probably been provoked one or two times, right? Just a couple. When they ask question after question after question. And my oldest would ask questions like, 
If God lived forever, then who created God? Where, you're two years old. <laughs> question after question. Dad, 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 dad. You know, teaching them to drive. Has, have any of you had that experience yet? Now, I will say this. My, my kids are great drivers. They're just not very good stoppers. <laughs> the tree, the ditch, the lamppost, their brake pads are always really good because they never use them. But when you teach a kid to drive, there's maybe a moment or two where it provokes you. Now I provoke them when I drive. Dad, could you at least go 50? It's a 75, you know, I mean. Dad, you're way too close to this person. There's an inch in between the two of them. So we situations, things, people, we can be easily provoked. Social media jabs. I mean, on and on the list goes. And at Corinth, the church at Corinth that Paul was addressing, they were frustrated. They were provoking each other. And Paul was like, this can't keep happening. It can't keep going on. And so this morning, I, I wonder... What it, would, what it would take for us to not be provoked. What would it take? You know, with the church at Corinth, remember you had the, the, those that were parading themselves about. I believe that's who Paul's talking about. They were puffed up. They were gifted, prophetic, with little regard for the feelings of others. But then you had the less status gifts who were, who were becoming resentful and bitter against those with the greater gifts. And you see, what the enemy wants is a divided church, a divided family, a divided workplace, a divided world. That's what he wants. That's what he seeks. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And one of his main weapons is disunity. But just so you think it's just us, it's not. It's even apostles. Look. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord. And let's see how they're doing. Now, Barnabas was determined to take with him John, called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to do the work. In other words, John Mark abandoned them. And now Barnabas wants to bring him along. He's proven unworthy. He's provoked me. Then the contention became so sharp, that's the same word, by the way, parasusmos. This is what was happening. They were going at it. They were at war with each other. These are the fathers of the church, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul was knocked off a horse and 
had a personal experience with Jesus, and he is being punctured by Barnabas, and Barnabas is being punctured by Paul. And so it says that they parted from one another. Oh, and that's exactly what the enemy of your soul wants this Christmas. You will not truly be able to celebrate Jesus with a punctured love. And he knows that. And so they ended up separating and going their separate ways. Now later, they restored that relationship. But the best among us is susceptible to having that love punctured because of provocation. And so I want to talk about patience today. Because what is the very first word mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13? Love is patient and is kind. The very first word that Paul mentions, I think, is the key to true love. To overcoming the enemy of provocation is being patient. And so, how do we overcome that? We don't like the words. Have you ever heard the words, uh, can I put you on hold for a second? We love those words. Three hours later, right? I was put on hold the other day. I won't name the restaurant. Um, calling in an order. Oh, I've got one other person in front of you. I hear them hit, drop the phone on the counter. And then I continue to hear the waitress talk to people. Several people. Just chit-chat. And I realized she has completely forgotten I'm even on the phone. Patience. We don't like hearing the words, can you wait just a moment? We don't like hear, hearing the words, your flight has been delayed. And you're on the plane, on the tarmac, three hours later. We don't like it. We don't like hearing those words. You see, but the word patient carries with it an expectation of a result at the very least, the hope of a result. That's what patience is longing for. Patience is the controlled expectation of a tangible result. The controlled, can we back that up? The controlled expectation. That's what patience is. It's controlled. You see, when you're getting this, you lose control. And so I want to go over just a few key areas that I think will help us become more patient. Just a few ideas from the scriptures of how we can overcome provocation. Since it's so easy for us to get sucked into becoming angry. The first one is this. Be slow to respond when you are provoked. How many of you are slow to respond when you're provoked? We all have our pet peeves, don't we? How many of you in here, it's uh, something to do with the automobile? Raise your hand. 
Anyone in here frustration over automobiles? Anyone in here frustrated over health issues? Anyone in here frustrated over kid issues, family issues, co-worker, employees, friends, enemies? Here's what the Bible says. James 1. It says, be slow to anger. Let every, first it says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. Our anger is not working God's righteousness. So in being patient, slow down. Just take a breath. Don't react. Because that's what provocation does. It reacts. That's number one. And here's why. Here's why. When someone's doing this to you, you have an adrenal response to that. I'm just going to tell you, you go into fight or flight. Because you're getting mad. And when you get mad, you're either going to fight, flee, or freeze. Most of us are going to fight. Some will go silent treatment. And when that happens, just on a pure physiological level, the blood is now not moving to the front part of your brain where you have cognition. It's moving to the back part of your brain. You're not thinking clearly when you're being provoked. And so if you quickly respond, if you quickly respond, chances are you're going to say something you regret. And the truth is, sometimes we have said things that we regret and some of the things that we've said have affected our whole lives. You can be provoked to the point where you speak a word that will shut down a relationship for decades and you can't take it back. That's how deadly allowing provocation to move you into a place of ugliness can be. Be slow to speak, quick to hear, quick to listen, but slow to anger. Let your heart rate come back down. Some of you may need to step aside for a moment. Hey, just give me a, give me a brief moment. If we could put it on number two. First of all, be slow to anger. Number two. Look at provocation as an opportunity to grow in patience. How many of you do that, really? Isn't this just a wonderful opportunity for me to grow? I am so thankful I'm in this line. I am so thankful I get to wait and listen to this wonderful music on the phone. No, we don't like it. Because we want it now. We're not patient by nature. 
And so when you are going through something where you're having provocation, look for it as an opportunity to grow, to be better, to be stronger, because that's what's happening. You know, it's funny, the scripture says, when something comes upon you, rejoice, because you're sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. But we don't typically rejoice. But what if we did? What if we, in that moment, prayed to the Lord? What if we, in that moment, just asked God to bless this person that's provoking us? What if we used that moment for something loving instead of allowing it to just destroy our spirit? You see... Provocation can be like a mosquito or a bunch of mosquitoes. How many of you just love mosquitoes, right? Let's go on a hike. And then you get up there and you're hiking and you end up in a swarm of mosquitoes. Well, they're not probably going to kill you, but they're just going to drive you crazy. And that's a lot like what provocation does. It ruins the picnic. It ruins the outdoor wedding because of this little thing. And we got to take control of that, squish the mosquito. And that's not the person, it's the provocation. And love. Love is patient. When all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Oh, yeah. Realize that they come to test your faith and to produce in you the quality of patience. I dare say any patience we have has been because we have walked through some struggles, some trials. We've gained some empathy and love for people. And it has made us more patient people. What if we could do that more frequently, more often? And then number three, believe the best about others and tell a good story. You know, what if this holiday season, when you're frustrated with someone, you told a different story? Love believes the best. You know, what if we didn't default to a negative story? What if we defaulted to a positive story? It's changed the way I drive. Steph and I now, what used to really frustrate us, now we find ourselves saying, when someone like pulls out in front of us, we go, boy, I bet they're on the way to the hospital with a kid in the car. Or, you know, I bet it's their first day of work and, you know, they're, they're late, you know. Or we, 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 we go back and forth trying to tell a good story about why they would do that. But it puts us in a far better place than if we complained about it. And so, can you tell a good story? Because what if you tell a good story and you're wrong? Okay. But what if you tell a bad story and you're wrong? Have you ever done that? Have you ever told a bad story about someone only to find out you are way off the base? And why they did what they did, they had a legitimate reason to do it. And you were way wrong. I've done that so many times. 
and I would much rather be on the side that tells a good story and I'm wrong than to tell a bad story and I'm wrong. So have the capacity to tell a good story. And then lastly, to increase our patience, ask God to help you overcome. Because we have a natural reaction, but then we have a supernatural response. And there are times when we just need God to intervene in those moments where we feel so heated. But when you pray in those moments, see, you can react or you can respond. React is just an impulsive decision that probably is going to leave a lot of damage. But a response is a purposeful, choice-filled decision that you're making to allow God to come into the situation. And it makes all the difference in the world. Let's read what the scripture says. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. When we're grumbling, that's what's happening. The judge is standing at the door. He's watching you grumble. He's watching you allow your love to be punctured. There was a school in the Philippines, a missionary school. And this school had a lot of children. And in this school, these children, they didn't have anything. They very, had very little by way of money, um, some by the way of shelter. Just the general provisions of life. They just, they didn't have much at all. And it was around Christmas time. And as a matter of fact, it was really close to the Christmas break. And they were going to get a couple weeks off. And one of the teachers there, one of the missionaries, she knew that her class had, had nothing. Very, very little. And so she made it super clear to them. She said... Whatever you do, don't get me any gifts for Christmas. Your love is all I need. And she repeated it a few days prior to the break. She really wanted to make sure no one spent money on her that they didn't have. And it worked. No one did. Um, she finished. She dismissed the class. Everyone was gone. She was grading papers so she could go on her vacation. And as she sat down and was grading the papers, she felt someone watching her and she looked up and one of her students was there. And he had just a simple package, just wrapped in a white canvas with some string around it. And she looked at him and she, she said, oh, well, what is this? And he says, I got you a Christmas present. And so she took the present and she opened it, thinking, oh, this poor kid, I mean, this family, they don't have anything. And she unwrapped it, and it was the most beautiful seashell she had ever seen. And she instinctively knew that there were no seashells for miles around where she was at. And certainly he, he couldn't buy one. She knew that the only place to to get them was several miles away. And she said, where did you get this shell? 
And he says, oh, I, I walked to the beach where the shells wash up, and I looked until I found this one. I knew you'd love it. And she was so blessed. She says, she said this, she says, you shouldn't have walked all that way for me. And he looked at her and he said, long walk is part of the gift. You know what, this Christmas? Long walk is part of the gift. A long walk with your family, being patient, a long walk with your friends, a long walk with your enemies, dare I say, a long walk with the people that you interact with. It's part of the gift. First Corinthians 13 is talking about gifts. The real greatest gift is love. Because if it's not done out of love, it's meaningless. But we are not the only ones that have an opportunity for a long walk. Jesus also took a long walk. Long walk was part of his gift. He was betrayed by a friend. He was abandoned by those closest to him. He was beaten. He was whipped. A crown of thorns pressed on his brow. And they put a cross on him. Heavy cross. And he carried it as far as he could before his body collapsed. And someone else picked it up and carried it the rest of the way. Long walk is part of the gift. He was nailed to that cross. Wrists, ankles, hoisted up, naked. Long walk is part of the gift. And he died. But before he died, Judas tried to puncture his love. Stabbed him in the back with betrayal. His very closest disciples didn't work. Soldiers close-fisted beating him. Whip. Long walks, part of the gift. Couldn't do it. Could not puncture his love for you. And may that same love that he has for you be engrafted into your life. And then may you give it out to others. See, that's that's why the Holy Spirit came, ultimately, is to let the life of Christ be lived out of us. He was on the outside, but now he's on the inside, and it's his love that we can allow out of our life. Just bow your heads for a moment.
Father, this morning we recognize in so many ways we fail. We fly off the handle. We're provoked. We say things we've, we regret. Maybe even in this room we're convicted because we have done something or said something and we know we need to go back and make it right. Our love was punctured. But God, this morning, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, oh, we just breathe in your love. Just breathe it in. We trust you to give it to us so that we can truly be set apart, so that we can truly be different, that the world may know because of our love that you are real. Would you empower us this Christmas with your love? May we be faithful to demonstrate your love. In the name of Jesus, everyone said, amen. Would you stand and would you come, faithful ones of God, and as you leave this place, walk in his love.